to our graduates and your family. I want to thank you for letting us be part of your celebration. And there are so many people uh, that are gathered here in this room this morning or gathered online this morning who have been uh, part of your kind of extended church family. And they are so excited about what you have accomplished um, and what God has planned for you next. And they have, uh, I want to share with you that they have been praying with you and for you. Uh, they bring praying with your parents and for your parents. That's probably the reason you are where you've made it today um, because I'm not sure that you guys have, would have made it to to this point, if, if not for those prayers. Uh, but this church has invested in you, they've taught you, they've prayed for you, they've cared for you, and so there are a lot of folks uh, as individuals in a church that, like I said, they're excited not only about what you've done and what you've accomplished, and you should celebrate that, because like I told you earlier, uh, this is a great moment, and this is a great thing that you've accomplished, and so we want to celebrate that, and we want to look forward to what God has for you this morning and in, in, in the next part of your life. And so one of the verses that commonly comes up during graduation time is Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. It's not where we're going to be this morning, but I just want to read it to you. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. Verse 6, Think about Him in all your ways, and He will guide you on the right paths. And that's a great set of verses, and we cling to that set of verses. All of us in this room kind of cling to those verses, especially during graduation time. But it kind of leaves us with this lingering question of, how is it that we are going to know what path God is guiding us on? Right? How, how is it that we're going to know that we are on the right path, that, that He's guiding us right path, and we're not just on some other path that we shouldn't be? And kind of the logistics behind that, how is this going to work? And for some of us sitting here, some of us gathering online, it kind of leaves this question of like, how is it that we're going to know that God is guiding us down a certain path? I mean, do we look for like some big blinking arrow that says, hey, turn this way? Or is there going to be some sign over here that says, hey, don't enter over here. This is bad. This is dangerous. Like detour, go that way. Like, do we look for physical signs or, or is it something more internal? Right? Is, is it something kind of a feeling that we get? And so we're going to know that we're on the right side or on the right path because we're going to feel all warm and fuzzy and cozy on the inside. Or maybe we're just going to be excited and all bubbly on the inside. And we're going to know that is the way that we're on the right path. Or maybe it's the opposite. Like we're going to know we're on the wrong path because it feels cold and it feels dark and uh, it's everything like we're anxious about and we don't want to do that. Like is that the indication that we're on the wrong path? You see, what Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6 tell us is that He will guide us on the path but it doesn't tell us how we're going to know what that guidance is. And so I'm, I'm so glad this morning that we don't stop with Proverbs 3, verse 5, and 6. I'm so glad uh, that we're going to take a deeper look in Proverbs this morning. We're going to find out some ways that how is it that God guides us on this path? How is it that God puts us on the correct path and leads us down that path? Because the reality is that we've got a couple graduates that are getting ready to take this next step in their life. But they're not the only ones that have to be concerned about the right path. Because every one of us in here is getting ready to take a next step in life. There are always going to be paths that we have to pick. There's always going to be decisions that have to be made. There's always going to be plans that have to be made. And so how is it that we know, whether it's graduation or school or, or anything in life, how is it that we know that God is guiding us down a certain path? Because the reality is that there is a next step, but it's really just another next step. There's always going to be a next step. And something that we face after that. So this morning we're going to dive a little deeper in the book of Proverbs. We're going to read from Proverbs 16. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there this morning. We're going to see how God prepares us and He, he plans these next steps and how He guides us with that. And so with that understanding, we're going to read Proverbs chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 2 and read through verse 4. But we'll throw in several other scriptures as we work through and around this text this morning. So Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2 says that all a man's ways seem right to him. 
But the Lord evaluates the motives. Verse 3, commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be achieved. Verse 4, the Lord has prepared everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of disaster. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for who you are and, God, what you have done. God, we thank you for these two graduates that we have, and we thank you for the accomplishments that they have reached, the milestone in their life that they're at. God, we thank you for their parents who have brought them here and, and invested in their life. God, we thank you for a church and a church family uh, that has taught them and prayed with them and prayed for them and invested in their lives in so many different ways. Uh, God, to bring them to this point. So, God, we join them in graduation and, and their family in celebrating this milestone. Uh, but, God, we join them also in looking forward to what it is that you're guiding them on to next. And God, for all of us this morning, we are looking forward to what is that next step for us. God, how do we know that you are setting us on the right path? How are we going to know that this is the path that you have set us on, God? So I'm praying this morning that you speak to not just to our graduates, but to all of us who are gathered in this room, all of us who are watching online. God, all those that are going to watch this later, God, that we will seek your wisdom. God, that we will come after you, God, and we will seek what it is that you have for us, God, and then we will know with confidence how to take that next step, that we can know with confidence what that bold next step is going to be. God, your promise is true that you will guide us. And so I pray that you give us wisdom to see your guidance on the path that you have for us as we prepare to go and take that next step. And so, God, I pray that you speak in this time. I pray that we are true students of your word. God, I pray that we listen. God, and I pray that we don't just listen for this moment, but we listen to your words of wisdom throughout the rest of our life. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In 1994, and I realize that to our graduates, 1994 is like ancient history, but for most of us, we're going to remember uh, where we were kind of in 1994. But in 1994, uh, the doctors looked at a very famous boxer, boxer named Evander Holyfield. And some of you don't know who that is. You can look him up later. Some of you remember greatly who that is. But they looked at him in 1994 and said that, that you've got some major medical issues. There, there's some medical concerns that we have about you, and it's really not safe for you to be boxing in the professional leagues anymore. In fact, you probably shouldn't be boxing at all. And so in 1994, Vander Holyfield made the decision that he was going to follow their advice and he was going to retire from boxing, that he wasn't going to box anymore. And so oddly enough that, that God uh, used some certain things and a year later the medical condition improved and he went back to the doctors and they said, we, we can't find the concerns that we had before. In fact, we're going to give you a clean bill of health. You can do whatever you want to do. If you want to get back in the ring, you go right ahead and do that. You have our clear, uh, we're going to clear you to do everything. And so if you want to go back in that ring, you do it. And so Evander Holyfield in 1995 made a decision he was going to step back in that ring. In fact, he wasn't just going to step back in that ring. He was going to try to achieve history. He was going to try to achieve the, the he was going to try to become only the second man in history to ever regain the World Boxing Championship for the third time. Only one other person in all of history had done that, and he was going to be try, he was going to try to do it for the second time. The only problem was that in 1996 the world champion boxer was this man that some of you may know. His name was Iron Mike Tyson. And Iron Mike Tyson was a phenom. I mean, he was strong, he was fast, and he had a professional record of 45 and 1. He could land a punch that would send a man straight to the floor wondering where in the world he was at and what he had for breakfast yesterday. Right? And in those 45 wins, 21 of those wins came by knockout in the very first round. And earned him the title of the most dangerous man to ever step in the ring. 
But if Evander Holyfield was going to recapture the title, that's who he had to beat. If he was going to win the title, he had to beat Iron Mike Tyson. So on November 9th, 1996, the date was set. Vegas had set the betting odds at 25 to 1. It said Evander Holyfield was too old, too small, and too nice to ever have a shot at beating Iron Mike Tyson. There was no way that he was going to win this this fight. In fact, very few people ever thought he would even make it past the third round because nobody, hardly anybody, ever made it past the third round. So as the fight day got closer, Vander Holyfield kind of got a little nervous. Then he began to question, and maybe... Maybe this was a mistake. Maybe he, he jumped into this a little too fast. Maybe he was, was, really wasn't prepared for this. Maybe he should have taken a few more uh, kind of preliminary fights before taking on the phenom Mike Tyson. Maybe he should have settled for smaller. Maybe he shouldn't have gone for the world title at all. And maybe, maybe he just shouldn't have come back at all. Maybe he just should have settled for where God had him at the moment. So one night he was sharing his concerns with his, his new wife. They'd only been married for a few weeks at this point. And he was sharing these concerns with her. And she looked straight at him and she said, I am so disappointed in you. And he was just kind of stuck back. And he's like, I know, I probably shouldn't have made these mistakes. And he said, no, I'm disappointed that you don't think God is big enough to handle this problem. And it was those words of wisdom that changed the way Evander Holyfield looked at the fight. From that moment on, he looked at the fight very different. He said, sure, Mike Tyson is strong, and he's probably stronger than I am, but I've been in the ring with other men who are stronger than I am, and I've beat them before. Yeah, Mike Tyson is fast, and he's quick, and he's probably quicker than I am, but I've been in the ring with other men who are quicker than I am, and I beat them before. And he began to look at some of the things in the past. He said, yeah, Mike Tyson has a record of 45-1, and but I want you to understand that only five of those fights lasted past the sixth round. Only five of them. The, the only five of those fights had ever made it past the sixth round. Evander Holyfield had a record of 33-3, and three, but 19 of his fights had lasted past the sixth round, including six of them that lasted past the tenth round, and one of them that went for 15 rounds. You see, suddenly Evander Holyfield began to realize that if he could make it past the third round into the fourth round and the fifth round, the longer the fight went, the better off he was going to be. You see, what he began to realize is that God was big enough to handle this problem and that what God was doing over the past 12 years was God was preparing him for this moment. That over the past 12 years of being a professional boxer, God had prepared him through beatings and through, through other fights to take on Iron Mike Tyson because there was nothing that was too big for God. And God had been preparing Evander Holyfield for this moment. And see, when Evander Holyfield realized that it changed his whole outlook on the fight, suddenly the idea of taking on the most dangerous man in the ring, suddenly it wasn't so overwhelming anymore. Suddenly it was just a few days before the fight, and he realized that if God had brought him to this point, he could continue to take him on this point. So if you're graduating, if you're just sitting here and you're watching online, I want you to understand that your next step may not be as intimidating. Whatever your next step may be, it may not be as intimidating as taking on the phenom of Mike Tyson. But whatever your next step is, the words of wisdom through the book of Proverbs is simply this. That whatever your next step is, you can face it with confidence like we just sang. Because God has prepared you for whatever is next in your life. In fact, he makes it pretty clear in one of the first verses that we read in chapter 16, verse 4. That God has guided you to this point. He's prepared you to this point. He's ready. He's groomed you. He's prepared you. And if he's brought you here, he's not just going to drop you off and tell you good luck. He's going to make you ready for the next step. And he makes it clear in chapter 16, verse 4. And he says this. He says, The Lord has prepared everything for His purpose. 
I don't know if you've ever gotten to a point in your life, some of us that are a little older, we, we tend to have these moments of reflection. I don't know if you've ever gotten to a point in your life where you kind of just take the pause and you kind of step back for just a moment and you look at, at where you're at and you try to figure out how you got to this moment. And if, you're in, if we're honest in those time frames, if we will do that and we'll take a step back and we try to look back, how did we get here? Then we begin to see God doing a whole lot of stuff behind the scenes. My wife and I have done this several times. We've talked about this a lot of times. And we're kind of amazed at like, how many things God does that we never give Him credit for. And we're kind of overwhelmed um, at, at how much God has been doing in the background to bring us to a certain point in our life. And, and the truth is that God uses all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of events, all kinds of situations in your life to prepare you, to put you in the right place at the right time for the right moment. Right? He's been preparing you for something great, which is whatever that next step is. You see, what really overwhelms me and my wife is when we sit down, we have these conversations, is when we start trying to deconstruct the logistics of all of this, right? We've even done this with how we met and how we, how we kind of uh, fell in love and how we got married. And, and we take kind of this backwards approach where like, do you realize all the stuff that was going on in and around us and behind the scenes, that if one of those didn't work... If just one person hadn't been in the right place at the right time when God's leading them and guiding them, if just one of those hadn't happened, like how different would our life have been? Right? Let me just give you a quick example. My wife and I met because uh, we started coaching soccer together. But the reason we started coaching soccer together was because I was teaching at the high school that she had graduated from years before. All right? So the, her soccer coach was still there, and he and I became good friends. And, and all of this was working out. And so understand that I had another job offer before that one. All right? Now, this is something that a lot of folks don't know. I had another job offer in a completely different county with a principal that I was really looking forward to working with. You know, the interesting thing is, when he called me for an interview, I was on the bank of the Ohio River in Kentucky working at a youth camp, and he said, I really need you to come in for an interview this week. And I said, I can't do it this week. I can't get there this week because I'm here, and I'm going to be here all summer. And he said, well, let me do some other interviews, and I can't promise you anything. The very next day, the principal at the high school that I eventually ended up working at, he called me. And I began to think, how different would it have been had I not been on the banks of the Ohio River in Kentucky working at a youth camp and have taken that interview that I was so looking forward to? How different would my life have been in this moment if those things hadn't worked out? If, if God hadn't put certain people in certain places at certain times? And so the more my wife and I sit down, we have these conversations, not just about how we met and how we got married and all those things, but about all these different stuff, how we ended up here and how we've ended up in different places. If we, every time we have those conversations, we become extremely overwhelmed by the truth of Proverbs 16, verse 4, that God has prepared everything. And understand that, that when you take these moments and you look back in parts of your life and everything just falls into place, that's not chance. That's not coincidence. That's not the stars line. That is God working behind the scenes quietly where nobody even notices or paying attention. And He's preparing everything for His purpose. And through it all, whether it's good or bad, whether it's happy or sad, the highs and lows, the joys, the tears that, that build us up and tear us down, that, that God is working in all of that stuff. He is building us. He is molding us. He's shaping us. And he's doing it all to prepare us for the next step. 
And when he does, he doesn't just prepare us for the next step and then drop us off. You see, if he brought us this far, he's going to continue preparing you for what's next. Because God's purpose continues for your life. It doesn't end when you get a degree. It doesn't end when you get a diploma. It doesn't end when you get your first job. There's always going to be a next step. And God is preparing you for that next step. So whether your next step is as overwhelming as taking on Mike Tyson or, or maybe picking a career, you can face it with confidence because God has prepared you for that. For some of you, your next step may be moving to a different place or, or taking a different job. For some of you, your next step may be signing up for one of our ministry teams. Or for some of you, your next step may honestly be sharing your faith with somebody you never thought you could before. But you need to understand that if God has brought you to that moment, whether it's life-altering or just a very simple next step, then He's prepared you for that moment. He has created you. He's molded you. He's shaped you. He's reshaped you. He's built you. In some cases, tore you down and rebuilt you so that He could reshape you and tear you down and build you back up again all that to give you the skills and the tools you need so that you are ready for what he has for you for your for his purpose and for his plans you are prepared for whatever it is that is next in your life but i need you to understand this that the book of proverbs doesn't say that you're prepared and so it's going to be easy no what it says is that just because you're prepared doesn't mean that you're entitled to the success that's out there you see when we look at proverbs it makes it clear that preparation is one thing but it working is something else. You see, if we look at it with me in chapter 21, verse 5, you may just want to jot that down and look at it later, but it'll be on the screen here. It's, Solomon writes this. He says, The plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless or hasty certainly becomes poor. You see, someone who's reckless or hasty, there's someone who tries to avoid work. Uh, we're not going to point fingers. I'm sure it's nobody in this room, but I'm sure everybody has worked with someone or been around somebody that this would describe. It's someone who's looked more for shortcuts than actual work. They've spent more time trying to get out of work than actually doing the work. Right? It's someone who has tried to get out of doing work. That someone who's uh, not going to do their best. They're going to do the bare minimum. In fact, they're going to do less than the bare minimum. And yet they're going to expect the same pay and reward as somebody who comes early and leaves late every single day. But what Proverbs points out is that's not the expectation. That's not what's going to happen. In fact, these two workers have a very different result. One of them is successful and has a profit. The other one is in poverty and is a failure. But I want you to understand that we have to put these two in connection. We have to put chapter 16, verse 4, in connection with chapter 21 because what the difference is is not what God prepared. You see, if we connect chapter 16, verse 4, remember He prepared everything. Which means even the one who is reckless had preparation from God. Even the one who is hasty and lazy has preparation from God. The difference is not the preparation. The difference is what the person did with the preparation that God had given them. One of them looks at it and says, God has prepared me and he's put me in a place and I'm going to do what I can do to make this the best situation. And the other one says, God has prepared me and that's all I need. And so I'm entitled to whatever comes next. You see, one of them takes what God says and takes what God has given me and says, I'm going to make it to the best of my ability and I'm going to work everything out. And the other one says, God's prepared me and it's just all going to work out in the end. You see, one of them sits in class like so many other students and says, God has allowed me to be in class and I'm going to learn everything I can while I'm here and I'm going to do the absolute best that I can while I'm here. And the other one says, that's all right. I got two more days before I got to worry about that project. The other one says, it's going to work out in the end. I really don't have to worry about it. One of them says, God prepared me and I'm going to do my best. The other one says, C's get degrees and D stands for diploma. 
You see, there's an equality between God's preparation and you doing something with Him. One of them says, God gave me this job, and so I'm going to do the very best I can, and I'm going to continue learning and doing this job so that I can do something better with this job so I can continue to work for His glory and for His greatness. And the other one says, you know what? God gave me this job, and He prepared me for this job, and so that's all I need to know. And so I'm just going to do this job like I've always done this job, and I don't ever need to learn anything new about this job because God put me here, and this is where I'm at. You see, one of them is following the next step, and the other just felt so entitled that his preparation for that step was actually leading to another step, which is actually a step backwards for him. And so when we look at Proverbs, it makes it clear that the next step is a huge choice in your life, maybe a simple choice in your life, but you need to understand your next step, you're prepared for it, but you're only going to get the success from it if you're willing to work for it. That your preparation does not entitle you to sit back and do nothing. That God is guiding us on the right path doesn't mean that God's going to do all the work and you're going to do nothing. It means that God has equipped you and prepared you and He's given you the tools to do it. But it's your responsibility to pick up those tools and use them for your glory or for your abilities and use it for His glory and your good. And so when we look for the path that God is guiding you down, sometimes it takes a moment for us to look back and see what is it that God. God has been preparing me for all these years. When we step back and we look at our life that God has brought us to, where is it that God has been guiding us and preparing us to go forward from this moment on? You see, sometimes we gain perspective of where we should go by looking and seeing what God has been doing in our past. He's been pointing you down the path that you should be on for your whole life. You just need to take a moment and step back and realize that He's given you the tools to use for His glory. But there's a second lesson that we learn when we try to figure out what path God is guiding us on is simply this, that you're never too old to listen to somebody else. In an article that I read this week called the Uncom- uh, for the Uncommon League, a guy by the name of Paul Cosby, it's a, he writes this article about managers and how managers can kind of better prepare their teams. And in this particular article, he writes about what he calls the smart person or smartest person syndrome. Right? And he says that this, there's almost always in every business setting, every uh, team setting, there's always someone on that team who feels the need to be the smartest person in the room. Right? And oddly enough, he says that most of the time, the person who feels the need to be the smartest in the room is usually, A, not the smartest person in the room. And B, he says the most interesting thing is it's also the one who is the newest person in the room. Oddly enough, it's most common, it's the newest graduate sitting in the room who feels the need to be the smartest person in the room. And he goes on to say, it's very easy to identify someone who has what he calls the smartest person syndrome. He says, you identify them because they talk way more than they listen. They never consider other people's point of view. They have, a, they have a need to constantly be right. And I love this one. They give their opinion either when it's not asked for or even when they're not the expert on the topic. Now, don't nudge people sitting around you, but we all know somebody who has been that smartest person in the room. We've all worked with those folks. And he goes on to say that these people are often unteachable and unwilling to learn. And they will only cause frustration and ultimately lead to the failure of any team that they are part of. And so his advice is simple. You either need to get rid of the smartest person in the room or the person who thinks they're the smartest person in the room. Or you need to change the environment where teamwork becomes the goal and teamwork is the reward instead of the individual achievement. And what's interesting as I read that article is that what he's telling us is really nothing new. Because what he tells us in this article that came out and people loved it, what he really tells us in this article is the same thing that Solomon told us thousands of years ago. 
You see, in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22, Solomon gave that same warning. He says, listen, you need to be willing to listen to other people. He says in verse 22 of chapter 15, he says, Plans fail when there is not counsel. But when many advisor, or excuse me, but with many advisors, they succeed. In essence, what he's saying is, listen, the best chance you have for success comes when someone's willing to listen to other people. That if we're willing to admit that, hey, listen, I may be smart, but I'm not as smart as these other five people sitting in this room. That doesn't mean they're smarter than me individually, but it simply means that together we are smarter together. And together we can look and we can analyze the situation from different angles. That this person is going to be, bring a piece of advice. This person is going to bring a piece of advice. This person is going to bring up something that I didn't consider before. This person is going to have a different idea. And so we're going to be better and we're going to be better equipped if we listen together and we analyze this stuff together. And so we advise each other. You see, the best leaders and the most successful people are not those who figure that they are the smartest people in the room. The best leaders and the most successful people are the ones who follow the advice of Proverbs chapter 19 verse 20, which says, listen to the counsel and receive instructions so that you may be wise later in life. The most successful people are the ones who follow the advice of Proverbs 24 verse 6, and it's kind of an odd connection here, but he says, listen, for you should wage war with sound guidance. Victory comes with many counselors. Notice what he says. If you're going to go something as serious as waging war, don't do it by yourself. If you're going to make a life-altering decision that not only changes your life, but the life of your country and the life of others, if you're going to make this huge decision, don't do it by yourself. You see, the most successful people are the ones who seek out godly men and women, and they, they say, hey, look, I've got this idea. What do you think about this? They're willing to sit down at a table and say, hey, listen, here's what I've been thinking out, but I know there's flaws, and I want you to point out these flaws to me. It's someone who's willing to sit down and say, hey, I know this idea is all right, but it's not perfect yet, so let's work together, and let's make this the perfect idea. The, the, the smartest person in the room, the one who has the most success, is the one who's willing to listen to advisors, listen to counselors, saying, listen, you see something I don't see, and I want to learn from you. I want to sound, or I want this to work. And so, listen, when you're going to make plans, you're going to try to determine the direction, then listen, don't go at it alone. God didn't put you in a community of brothers and sisters in Christ for you to think you have to do this life alone. God didn't put you in a community of brothers and sisters in Christ and say, now, now you've figured out how to do this on your own. No, if you're looking for the direction that God has for you, then maybe sometimes the best way to do that is go to someone who is godly and go to someone who is a brother and sister in Christ and say, listen, where do you see God guiding me? Here's an idea that I think I'm pursuing. Do you think this is something I should do? If we're not willing to listen, then we're willing to set ourselves up for failure, is what Proverbs tells us. That our best plans, if we're seeking the path that God is guiding us on, that sometimes we need to be willing to listen to the advice of others because sometimes we're going to find out that God speaks very clearly through the wisdom and the advice of other people when we can't make sense of things ourselves. There's another way that Proverbs tells us that we can make sure that we're on the right path, and it's simply this, that we need to be willing to examine both our path and our motive. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was in high school, I used to run track, and um, I, I ran with a whole group of guys. We were a great group of guys, and I'll be honest with you, I hated running even when I ran track. 
The only reason I ran was because of this group of guys, all right? And they were a great group of guys. But in this group of guys that I ran with, some of them kind of developed these little rivalries with each other, right? They, they really just wanted to beat one another, right? Which is a good thing if you're trying to run to a certain point. But at some point, when that becomes your fixation, instead of, I don't know if you realize this, you, as a track team, you're competing as a team. Yeah, it's an individual sport. Everybody's running. But your goal is not to beat each other. Your goal is to beat the other team, right? That's how you win the track meet, is beat the other team, right? But for this group of guys, some of us became kind of so fixated on beating each other that we lost that kind of focus, right? And so I'll tell you how this happened one day, that, that there was one of the guys that, that was a good friend of mine, and he really became fixated on beating this other guy, that he had never beat this other guy on the team, and he was going to beat him, right? And this was the race he was going to do it. So he came around the curve, and just a few paces in front of him was the guy that he was set to beat, and he knew this was his chance. He knew this was his moment. So he was fixated on this was the opportunity. This is what he was going to do. So he took off sprinting. And he took off. I mean, he was giving it all he got because this was his chance. This is the closest he'd been to beating this guy. And he was going to make it happen. So he took off sprinting. And as he pulled up beside the guy that he was kind of rivals with and that he was going to beat, that guy was like, oh, well, if he's going to sprint, I'm going to sprint. Because I'm sure not going to go down like this. So he took off sprinting. And so here these two guys go down the home stretch, the, the straightaway there at the end of the race, and they are giving it all they got. Man, they are, I mean, they are like slobbering. They are running so hard, okay? And in doing so, they are passing all these other guys that are just jogging, it looks like. All right? Some of them look like they're walking because these guys, are, man, they are on it. And then they get across the finish line only to realize that that wasn't the end of the race. You see, one of them became so fixated on beating the other guy that he lost count of the laps that he was on. Instead of being on lap number eight, he was really on lap number seven. And so the rest of those guys who they were past, like they were setting seal, realized they weren't going to fall for this. And so they continued on with lap eight. Well, these two guys had to pick themselves up off the ground over here and basically walked the last lap of their race. And so instead of finishing in the top three, in second and third in the race and beating and helping the team, these two guys finished dead last. All right? Understand that their motive to win is a good thing. Right? Their, their motive to, to do good and to push each other, that's a good thing. But see, their motive wasn't to win the race. Their motive was just to beat the other guy. And it is completely possible to try to be on the right path and try to be doing something good, but be doing it for the wrong reason. They wanted to sprint. They wanted to have a strong finish, but it wasn't to win the race. It was just to beat this guy. And if we're not careful, sometimes we fall in the same trap that we are trying to do something good. We're trying to do something right. And this looks like the right path, but we want to do it for completely the wrong reason. You see, and that's the reason Proverbs warns us over and over again that really we shouldn't trust what we feel and we shouldn't trust what looks right to us because we can be deceived very, very quickly. In fact, Proverbs tells us in two very specific places. Um, in chapter 16, verse 2, he says, All of a man's ways seem right to him. Just a few verses later in 16, verse 25, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man. 
but its end is the way of death. And what's interesting about these two Proverbs is that these two Proverbs are repeated almost word for word in two other places. All right? and chapter 16, verse 2 is in, found again in chapter 21, verse 2. Right? And, and 16.25 is found in 14.12. And I want you to understand that when God repeats something, it's there for a reason. He, he doesn't repeat it by mistake. He doesn't repeat it because it's not important. In fact, one author wrote that the repetition of this Proverbs emphasizes the greatness and it's important because, get this, nothing is more ordinary or more dangerous than self-delusion. To think that we are on a path that is feeling right and yet is the wrong path. To think that we are on a path and doing the right thing and yet our motive is not where it needs to be. So we need to constantly evaluate the path that we're on and we need to constantly evaluate why we are on this path. Why is it that we're willing to take this next step? Why is it that we're willing to, to take this step and be on this path? And for some of us, we, if we're honest in our evaluation, the reason that we're on the path we're on is because it's the path of least resistance. Because it looked easiest. For us. In fact, when you look at this verse in the Hebrew, in chapter 16, verse 25, when it says the path that seems right, the word there it also means it's convenient, or it's straight, or it's easy. So I want you to picture yourself looking at two paths. You're standing here, there's a fork in the road, and you've got to choose between two paths. And you've got one that this is the easy path. It is flat, it is straight, it is easy, and this is the path of least resistance. And then you've got this other path. And this path looks hard. And this path looks difficult. And so we've got to understand there's a way that looks right from the very beginning. Right? This path looks right, man. It's so easy. This is obviously the path that God wants me on. I know there was a group that went hiking yesterday, and, and several folks enjoyed that. I grew up at the foot of uh, Hanging Rock or Sartown Mountain, which is just next to Hanging Rock. And there's, there's a path that you can take from the parking lot to the top of Hanging Rock. Right? And some of you may have done that. If you haven't, you should do it. It's a great place. It's a little over a mile high. But i got to tell you that when you start off on this path, right? so you pull up in the parking lot and there's this big sign that this is the Hanging Rock path, and you literally can take this path and you can stand on the Hanging Rock and look down and you're like... 300 feet above the people that are above or below you, right? So it's a great thing, but if you take kids, make sure you got them on a leash. Hold on to them, okay? But it's a great path. What's interesting, the reason I'm telling you about that path is because when you pull up to the parking spot, there's this sign that says Hanging Rock Path, and it's paved. Right? That path is literally concrete. And you're like, this is, okay, I can take this up a mountain. This is not going to be a problem at all. In fact, you're like, I didn't realize they made handicap-accessible mountain hiking trails, but this is what this looks like. It is flat, and it is smooth, and it is literally concrete. And then it goes around a curve, and then it goes around another curve, and then it gets down to this little creek, and you're like, this has got to be the easiest path ever. And then all of a sudden, the concrete stops, and it's just gravel. And you're like, well, it's still not too bad. I mean, it's wide, it's clear, it's wide open, and it's kind of uh, easy. I mean, you realize you're going up a hill, but it's still kind of easy. And then the path narrows. And then there's no longer gravel. It is rock steps. And so what looked easy from the start, what looked like you could really take a four-wheeler or even a, a rascal scooter up, that someone in a wheelchair could get up to the mountain, this, the top of this mountain, suddenly finds himself on a path. Like, if you're not ready for it, you're sometimes on hands and knees crawling up these steps because what looked easy doesn't turn out that way. You see, but it seemed so easy at the beginning. 
It seemed so right. It just felt right at the beginning. And so this is what Proverbs is warning us. Don't look at the beginning of the path and think, oh, this is the path I should be on because it looks so easy because it's paved and it's smooth. He says, no, consider the end of the path because there's a path that looks right and seems right. But guess what? It's going to lead you to a place you don't want to be. It's going to lead to death. And don't get me wrong. The hanging rock is not death. And it's not unless... Unless sometimes it could be, all right? But it's not. That's, but look at the end of the path. Don't just be deceived by thinking the beginning of this path looks right. It feels right. I like this. This is comfortable. I like this path, so this must be the right path. Because what he tells us is you can feel right and still be on the wrong path. In fact, you can even be on the right path, but be on the right path for the wrong motive. You see, what he says is the Lord evaluates the motives our motives for choosing the right path or choosing the next step, this is something we should be concerned about as well. If God's going to evaluate it, then we want to make sure that we do. And so here's a way that you kind of test, am I choosing this right path for me or for God? And it's really a question of what is my motive for taking this path versus this path? Am I choosing this path and this step or this direction because it's easy and it's convenient and it's nice? Or am I choosing this path because it's the path that's going to bring God the most glory? When you can stand on a path and say, this is the hardest path I've ever been on. This is the hardest fight I've ever been. This is the most difficult thing I've ever had to face. And yet I can use this for God's glory. You're probably on the path that God has for you. You're probably being guided by God because you're motivated by using it for His glory. Not for yourselves, but not for making yourself look good. Not for making yourself feel good. But by bringing Him glory. You see, you can be on the right path, but be on it for the wrong reason. So we need to motive, or evaluate why are we on this path. Let me ask you this morning, you guys that are sitting here, you guys that are watching online, why did you choose this path to come to church or to watch church this morning? Was it because this is the path that was laid out for you? This is the path that we always do? Or did you choose it because your motivation was to bring Him glory? Because you came to worship Him. Not to hang out with your friends, not to talk with your friends, not even to sit here and hear this guy talk for a really long time and walk out and check this off my box. Hey, God, you owe me a favor because I listened to this guy ramble on for 40 minutes. Did you do it to bring Him glory? You see, our motive for doing things, our motive for picking the path, our motive for making decisions should not be us. It should always be what's going to bring Him the most glory. How can I glorify Him the most with whatever my situation is, whatever the question is, whatever the option is, what is it that I can do that's going to bring Him the most glory? You see, the final thing that I want to leave you with is that when you choose that, and the way you choose that, is that you need to be fully committed to Him. Right? And, and Proverbs makes this very clear. We read it in chapter 16, verse 3. It says, Commit your activities to the Lord, and your plans will be achieved. Right? Now, there's two words I want to kind of focus on in that passage. The first one is activities. Right? Activities can be translated as labor or work or deeds. And, and understand that, that he doesn't distinguish between your Sunday deeds and your Monday deeds. He doesn't distinguish between your Sunday morning deeds and your Saturday night deeds. Or activities. Commit your deeds. All of them. Every activity that you do. He doesn't distinguish between your church friends and your other friends. Your church activities and your other activities. Your church work and your other work. What he says is commit all of them. Give all of that to him. All right? And then the second word is the commitment part. That I'm committed to this. It's not just, hey, I'm going to give God this. And then when it's convenient, I'm going to give to him. When it's not, I'm not going to. Committing is something you're locked into. 
We've been talking about these teams and getting folks to be on some of these teams and ministry teams. And if we're making a commitment to this team, it doesn't mean I show up when I want to. It means I'm committed to this team and I show up when this team needs me to show up. It means I'm committed to do what this team needs me to do. I'm there when it's nice and I'm there when it's not nice. For you guys that are married, you ladies that are married, you know what it's talking about. It's the same word. This idea of commitment is you are locked in whether it's good or bad, nice or or sad, whether it's happy or or, or joyful or whether it's not. You are committed to it. Whether it's an easy path that's paved and looks like you could take a wheelchair on it or whether you're literally hands and feet crawling up rock steps. You commit to it. You hold on to it. That you have literally, the, the, the Hebrew picture here is that you have taken this burden, this rock, and you have put it on him, and now he carries it for you, all right? And he doesn't get to stop. He doesn't stop. He carried that commitment all the way through to the cross, and then we look at it and we're like, oh, suddenly it became inconvenient, and I'm going to step away. Yeah, we don't get that option because he didn't take that option from us. Right? In verse or 9 of that same chapter, 16, verse 9, it says, Man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord determines his step. You see, when our heart is inclined to him, then our heart can determine our plans. We're not looking for what feels good, what feels right. We're simply following the desires of our heart. You see, when the desires of our heart align with the desires of God, that's when those plans are going to be successful. That's when those plans are going to work out. When God determines our plans because our heart is aligned with it, then God's going to determine our steps. Let me finish with this last moment for you. You see, from the moment that Evander Holyfield begin to see this fight from a different perspective, he began to realize that he could win this fight. But if he was going to win this fight, it wasn't going to be easy, and he was going to have to depend on somebody besides himself. And so from the moment that Evander Holyfield in 1996 entered the ring, he and his wife started singing this spiritual song called Mighty Man of War. And the, the song, you can look it up later, it recounts God's power and strength when, when we are weak and when we have needs and when our, our, our self is exhausted pretty much. He began to sing this and him and his wife began to sing this. And during the, the fight, this was what was going through it. Now when he's fighting, actually, that's not what's going through it. But almost every single time that the bell rang and he got to take a break, he began to sing this song to himself. And he would go sit down in the corner of his of his, uh, his of the boxing ring. And you know, if you've ever watched boxing, like the guy sits down and there's a coach that's right in your face. There's all these people that are putting all this stuff and bandaging it up and all that stuff. And he's just singing this song quietly to himself. And they're like, Vander, what, what's going on, man? What, are you all right? Like, we don't understand. And they begin to get concerned that he had lost kind of a cognitive ability because the words weren't making sense to them. And they're like, we don't understand what you're saying. Like, we need you to slow down and, and tell us what's going on. And you know what his words were? It's okay. You don't need to know what I'm saying because I'm not talking to you. I'm committed to somebody else right now. You see, if we're going to follow the path that God has for us, If we're going to make the decisions and let Him guide our path, we need to know that He's prepared us and we need to work for it. We need to know that we are ready for it and He has brought us to this point to continue us on. We need to know that we are ready and able, that He's equipped us and enables us to do this. We need to be willing to listen to the guys in the corner and listen to the guys that are training us. We need to be willing to examine the path we're on and why we chose that path. But ultimately, we need to be committed to the one who has more power and more direction than we ever give Him credit for. To the one who, for the whole life that you've lived, has been working in and through and behind the scenes in ways that you never imagined. Why? 
to guide you on the straight path. Let's pray together.